Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode was brought to you by Studio Headphones. Studio is trying to bridge that gap between awesome tech device with amazing sound, but that might be a little bulky and that snazzy accessory that might not have the best sound. Basically, a minimalistic and fashionable design with emphasis on audio quality, which would compete with the highest rated headphones on the market, but at a much more reasonable cost. They let me pick out a pair. I chose the Vaza, and I can vouch for them. Great rich sound where you can really pick out the details of music. And Studio's a cool company, Swedish, sleek, Scandinavian design. They ship for free anywhere in the world. Plus, if you enter Alchemy as a discount code on their website, not only do you get a 15% discount, but that also lets them know that I sent you, and that helps this show. So give the site a look, studiosweden.com. The Bluetooth headset batteries last over 24 hours of active use, much better than my previous headphones, or a full week in standby mode. And they really do sound as good as they look. That code was alchemy at studiosweden.com. Good evening and welcome to the History of Germany podcast. It's been a while and unfortunately I just don't have the time to continue with... Halt! What? Who, who's that? This show will go on better than ever, more regularly and tons more content. Uh, oh, uh, oh, okay, uh, sure. I mean, uh, I, I think... Nothing, Travis. You think nothing. Hey, uh, can we... Thanks. I mean, don't worry about a thing. It's going on. We got this. What? Everything. More episodes, more regularly, even a new feed in Arabic. History of Germany in, is happening in Arabic. Are you even listening? Never mind. Go away. This episode will be very much related to the last one with Steve Guerra, or rather the one before last, the one that was about the investiture controversy. I do want to talk about Henry IV, though, to continue our mini-series with the Zalia, the Salian dynasty, where we left off, finally, and he lived in a really interesting time. Yeah, that's right. Uh, really interesting times. When Henry died, the first uh, crusade was underway, which was not a good situation for Jews living in Germany. So take a couple of episodes uh, to just explore some of those concepts as the whole since there is a lot going on this time about to meet a whole new dynasty in just a couple of episodes and then like the development of um, Yiddish we want to talk about. And yeah, Travis. Yeah, and what else? Well, the the big news is we have another whole series of um, a new format, let's say, a new series within the show. And the first episode they've already heard, which was about the Ziegestor in Munich. So 
um, heirlooms, we're calling this, which is a creation of Judith's. And it's looking at specific objects from history, from the history of Germany. And we're doing an episode around those in in a different format, experimenting and, you know, kind of having fun telling a story about the uh, the story behind these objects from history. So more of those will be coming up soon, especially when we switch from one dynasty to the next. So it's not just king to king or emperor to emperor. And then, of course, the crusade. Uh, the crusades itself, the first crusade starts in Henry IV's lifetime, and history starts to get a bit more complex all the happenings and drama. So it'll be a little bit more fun to tell you about those things and take a break from the chronological order. Um, now, where we are, and from last time, last time we had, time before last, well, three episodes ago, we had Steve Guerra on the show to talk about the investiture controversy, the popes, anti-popes, the emperors, the German kaisers backing popes, like political parties and popes backing anti-Kaisers. We are right in the middle of all of that right now at this time. So now let's focus on Henry IV, who is um, at the epicenter of this whole intergenerational time. So who was this uh, supposedly pious king that walked to the Pope in winter wearing a hair shirt? Uh, that's the famous story we told um, in the episode of the investiture controversy. Yeah, one could say he was a clever politician, obviously. Let's take a look. He was born on November 11th in 1050, and he died on the 7th of August in 1106. Uh, he was just three years old when his father made him king and he became king after his father died in 1056. Yeah. He was crowned in Aachen by Pope Victor II. Pope Victor was, was king to Henry III and very close to the emperor. Mm -hmm. So this will be become important later. So we mention it now. And Victor was one of the German popes and excommunicated enemies of the regime, in a way, let's say. This is, we'll get into that, the whole popes and anti-popes. The whole relationship between Kaiser and Pope gets really messy in this episode. Yeah, so he was crowned co-ruler as a three-year-old, and his dad died when he was six. And so now we see all together, even though he was crowned really young, he does reign for 50 years. And when he dies in 1106, the Crusades are on are underway. I mean, he has he's one of those kings that, and we're we're about to see. It's not an easy an easy reign, but he does rule for a very very long time, um, and kind of dies early. You know, all in all. Yeah, he became yeah. king very early, but in fact, um, his mother Agnes of Poitou um, did the regency stuff mm -hmm. for him. We do know a little bit of the physical description of. Um, Henry IV, because he was exhumed in 1900 in the Speyer Dome. We're going to do a special episode on the Speyer Dome. That's one of the examples of an heirloom from German history. Um, in 1900, he, he was exhumed from his grave, and they found out he's a very tall king. He was a very tall person. He lost some teeth in his youth. And under his grandson, so Speyer Dome becomes more and more important. So we'll we'll see that in this dynasty, and then we'll do a special episode on it itself. Uh, so stay tuned. But we do know he was a he was a big figure. 
So there's one really interesting story of this podcast besides the later drama between kings and popes. And that's while Henry IV was still a young boy. And I mentioned this because this was actually dramatized on a German TV show. There's a German documentary, um, which was one of the sources for for the idea. But it was, um, yeah, this is, I guess, in the German-speaking world, this this might be a story that you're actually taught in school because it's a pretty famous story from when Henry was like, what, 11 year, years old, something like that? Yes. What, yeah, what, what happened to the young Henry? He was kidnapped. The king, yeah, was, was kidnapped in early April um, 1062. He was staying with his mother in Kaiserswerth at um, the Königspfalz, one of the places uh, a king used to be yeah. when he was uh, traveling around the lands. And there was Arch, uh, Archbishop Anno of Cologne. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he visited um, Agnes and uh, the king. And so after banqueting together, Anno invited the boy to visit a magnificent ship that um, had moored in the River Rhine uh, right nearby the Kaiserpfalz. So Henry went uh, with Anno to see the ship. And as soon as he entered the ship, the rowers quickly gathered themselves up, threw themselves behind their oars with all their might and propelled the ship rapidly right into the middle of the stream. And yeah, uh, the king uh, was really stunned uh, by these unexpected events and he was not sure uh, what was happening. He could only think that they wanted to attack him and, and to murder him and so he plunged headlong into the river and yeah, he would have drowned in the raging water if not Count Edberg, despite the great danger in which he put himself, dived after Henry and rescued him from drowning with really great difficulty and returned him to the ship. Yeah. Yeah, and so he was taken to Cologne, Travis. Yeah, so that's the. This was dramatized on German TV. You can see this in German on maybe even in English actually, because it's it's done by ZDF and they do some of their they translate some of their documentaries. Really? So can, yeah. So you can see a dramatization of uh, in German it's called Die Deutschen. It's it's a mini series on German history, but um, I think that might exist in English too. So you could see young Henry diving into the Rhine and then getting rescued, being pulled out last minute by Egbert. But once they were in Cologne. Obviously, Anno. Now, Anno is an important name. So, Count Anno or... Uh, uh, Archbishop. Archbishop Anno. Yeah. So, yeah. he is an important figure. So, remember him. He's um, He now basically blackmails Agnes, who's the regent, and, um, you know, blackmails her for the imperial regalia, which would... That, 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 those symbols, you know, we're just talking about like the, the, the ball and the scepter or whatever and the crown, um, but those symbols really meant a lot. If you had those symbols, that was already, you know, that, that was already one of the things required to rule kind of thing. And um, he got them. So he, he then tried to raise young Henry. He gave him a tutor, a Patronus, uh, which is, yeah, Henry IV's Patronus is an archbishop. Um, this archbishop is also uh, important later on, Adalbert of Hamburg. Adalbert becomes Henry's first confidant. But just, um, okay, so imagine this young, he's 11 when he's kidnapped. 
He's yes. a young kid living with kidnappers. They've blackmailed his mother. They've gotten the regalia. They're all just using him to... So now Anul is basically ruling. And Anul, by the way, it should be pointed out that he was unpopular. So that if you consider nobility like, like political parties, some of the nobility were for him, some were against him. But he was, he was also like the, the peasant class um, said he was a bad ruler. Like that's what the sources tell us. So he wasn't, he wasn't a loved um, person, Anno, uh, this archbishop. And Henry did not die. They kept him alive. And, and, but the thing is, is that um, under the tutelage of the Archbishop of Hamburg, Henry was very stubborn. He didn't really want to obey his kidnappers. You know, like that's one thing the sources say is that Henry was very stubborn. He didn't want to, he got a strange education or a, a kind of a poor education because he just didn't want to do his, his school work. But yeah, he was living, I mean, it wasn't a normal childhood, I guess is the point. It must've been kind of dramatic, a lot of intrigue, a lot of um, fighting for power and this struggle, you know, amongst his kidnappers. So just imagine a weird education, a he must have been very stubborn and headstrong to, well, not to suffer too much under these traumatic circumstances. I mean, let me put it this way. I guess he grew up very fast. And in fact, uh, the story doesn't end there. Uh, Henry, like we said, he ru- he rules for 50 years. Um, so the way he kind of escapes from Anno is, a, is another great story, too. Yeah, but like you said, the malleable Adalbert of Hamburg uh, soon became his confidant and eventually, during the absence of Anno from, from Germany, Henry managed uh, to obtain control of his civil duties, leaving Anno with only an ecclesiastical role. Yeah, I think it really speaks of Henry's will and strongness and uh, smarts to take the uh, reins back from his kidnapper and regain the government. Yeah, because he, he was still young. When that, when yes. he did that, yeah, yeah, from 1084 until his fourth abdication in 1105, uh, he was also referred to as the king of the Romans, and he became a Roman emperor. So, yeah, your typical Holy Roman Emperor of this age. He was the third emperor of the Salian dynasty and one of the most powerful and important figures of the 11th century. His reign was uh, marked by, as you said, the investiture controversy with the papacy. And now he's king. What did he do, Travis? Yeah, so it's not like he just... I mean, that must have been an interesting story, too, of, okay, Anno Anno is out of town, out of the country, and then suddenly uh, Henry IV regains his power? That's. I mean, that must have been very hard. So it's kind of like a coup within his amongst his kidnappers which is it's just that's a great story too um but no obviously he it doesn't just all it's not a happy ending here uh now he's king but he's still a very young and experienced king and in fact his whole reign is i mean you mentioned this is during the investiture controversy so this is not a peaceful reign anyways and being abducted as a kid was just an example of the tumult and of the nobility and church at the time it's so what we're so what he first has to deal with right now are major revolts, anti popes. To give you a little bit of a spoiler or or let's say some foreshadowing, he's going to get excommunicated, 
once, twice, something three, like that. Three, three times. Three I times. Um, his sons rebel against him. So remember, he was crowned as a three-year-old to co-rule with his dad. He had to take over at six, you know, under his mother. Um, but he's, you know, so he also does this. He crowns his kids when they're very young. So the, the whole, the whole, anything that can go wrong basically goes wrong. Um, he has yeah. Slavic uprisings. He has, you know, there's the Italians up, uh, uh, try to revolt and, and um, get rid of the German reign. So it, it just wasn't an easy reign, I guess is the point. And we'll break it down here in a second. Yeah, right. In fact, uh, Henry's entire reign was uh, determined to consolidate his power and gain uh, the largest possible continuous land to strengthen his power. He also began immediately after his assumption of uh, government consistently. This naturally led to dissatisfaction among the high nobility and yeah, especially in Thuringia and in Saxony repeatedly led to warlike conflicts but we'll come to that later so he was crowned at uh, the Mainzer Hoftag at end of March 1065 Henry received uh, the Schwertleite as a sign of legal uh, maturity and political capacity to act so yeah, you want to say something about uh, Schwertleite? Could Schwer you explain this? Yeah, Schwertleite is just the, um, you know, when they when you kneel and they put the sword from one shoulder to the next and say, "I now pronounce you sir," whatever. It's like it's not. Yeah, we would in English we would say it's it's uh, he was knighted, I guess. But in this case, it was more like it was more like a coronation. Um, yes. Yeah, so it's, yeah, but exactly. There was some ritual done that he was officially recognized as ruler, basically. And Gottfried the Bearded, uh, his father's longtime rival, acted as a shield bearer uh, and an important uh, job during this ceremony, ritual, whatever. Through this demonstrative act, he promised submission and loyalty to the nobility. We heard about Anno already. And how burdened Henry's relationship with him was showed up really right immediately after uh, the coronation. What was going on, Travis? Yeah, this, it's time for revenge. Well, I mean, so Anno was his kidnapper, obviously. So as soon as this, um, this thing was over, uh, he was officially the king. The king wanted to, the new king, Henry, now wanted to attack his old kidnapper. Um, his mom stepped in and, and kind of he held him back. You know, Anno was not without power. He just, but he did it. He, he still had an ecclesiastical role. It would have been wrong for him to kill him, even though I'm sure he wanted to. I mean, he was going to. Um, but yeah, no, he's back in power now. We see that through even his attempt or even him wanting to attack Anno is like, okay, he's, he's the king now. Um, yeah. And, uh, what was that? Sixty-five was the coronation. So yeah, January sixty-six. The the drama continues. Uh, he had ah, to part uh, okay. with his main advisor. He had to, uh, yeah, Adalbert of uh, Bremen, because the king has had been given the alternative of dismissing or abdicating the archbishop uh, because Adalbert was uh, accused of assuming a tyrannical rule under the pretext of his intimate friendship with the king. Wow. Yeah, like yeah. being yeah, 
he's kind of corrupt using his power yes. to yeah uh he's close to the king yeah is that, is that that's a quote i mean that was yeah he was accused of tyrannical rule intimate friendship that's exactly um what he was accused of so yeah as a young king he said okay he has to um, so he dismissed his first <laughs> mentor from uh, from his seat. But that's not all. Same year But already. not a voluntary, of course. Yeah. Right, yeah. And so it was pressure to, to do that. And that's not all. The, the same year, we see a Slav uprising. Um, these are still pagans. I've, I did a previous episode on like the Vens and, and the uh, Sorbs and those groups that are kind of on the German border or even living within German lands. Um that happened, and, and that was not a small uprising either. And, and that all happened a few times in his reign. Um, this time, so the Slavs besieged Hamburg. And if you look at a map today, Hamburg is not near any borders to Slavic countries. Um, so it was, a, it was a big problem. They marched all the way to the North Sea, and Henry had to stop that. That's 1066. Also in 1066, he finally married... Uh, Bertha of Savoy and Turin, um, the daughter of Otto, the Count of Savoy, and they were basically uh, betrothed. Uh, they were engaged since they were kids, like since he was a young boy. I mean, for 10 years, since he was, you know, before he could remember, basically. And they finally got married. Now, later we'll find out. Yeah, I wonder how happy that marriage is. Let me just say that for now. Um... <laughs> But so he has the Slavic uprising. He has he he gets married whether he likes it or not in 1066, and the Pope in Rome is now asking him to also go to Italy and defend him, because the Italo Normans who are now in uh, 1066. By the way, it's the Battle of Hastings. So when the Normans beat the Anglo-Saxons in England, the Normans are also expanding in Italy and kind of always wanting to march north towards Rome. This is also happening in this year, and the Pope is asking him to def come to defense of Rome. So that's the same year before he... Well, okay, so the, the thing is, let me finish the story with Bertha first, because um, this is jumping ahead a little bit. But to give you an idea of his marriage, yeah, because eventually, he eventually, okay, he does go to Italy, he does do all these things, but let me finish one thing at a time, because there's so much going on with Henry. Um, Berta, three years later, only three years later, we get a source telling us, uh, basically the Pope says, to knock off his divorce attempts. So over and over again, um... Henry IV tries to first, you know, get an annulment, get a divorce from Berta. So he clearly, you know, didn't, didn't really appreciate this new marriage. Uh, finally, the Pope tells him to knock it off and even threatens excommunication. The Pope goes really far. You, you, were, you were mentioning that, um, or you were, you were telling me off, offline that, yeah, he, you know, he tried to set up... Um, you know, try to set up like a, a reason for divorce, like um, kind of entrapment where he, he, she, she, he sent somebody to the uh, queen's or empress's bedchambers to try to um, get her to cheat on him so that that would be grounds for divorce. She knew it was happening and had him beat up. And, you know, so there's this great story of, of like marital drama, I guess, which is um, on, a, on an extreme level. But yeah, the, the Pope... Um, basically finally threatens him and says, this is the new Pope Alexander II that says, listen, 
If you keep trying to divorce your wife, I will not crown you emperor. So this is, that's the, 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 the authority the, that he had over him. Uh, so that was the one thing the Pope could really threaten him with. And he, yeah, he finally, he, he stopped. So Henry obeyed and his wife returned to court. Henry believed that the papal opposition was less about his marriage than about uh, overthrowing lay power within the empire in favor of an ecclesiastical hierarchy. In the late uh, 1060s, Henry demonstrated his determination to re reduce any opposition and uh, to enlarge the empire's boundaries. Yeah, it was time to do it. Yeah, now it's time. Um, yeah, the first uprising. So this is a cool story because it, well, it could have been a cool story. It's not. But there was <laughs> a near trial by combat. Um, I'll just summarize this really quick because I don't want this episode to get too long. But um, just to show that that Henry also had to deal with the local nobility up, uh, um, uprisings in Germany. So he had to go south to Italy at some point. He had to go north to, to fight the, you know, Swabians and, uh, yeah, different, different Saxons or whatever. Um, there was an uprising. He decided that it could be settled by a trial by combat at a, in his court at Goslar. Um, and Otto of Nordheim, that was the Duke of Bavaria, that would have been the other person coming to fight. Um, but Otto sensed a trap, <laughs> to put it mildly. So he didn't come. This was, you know, so obviously Henry declared him as losing the trial or being, being dis disqualified in a way and took all his lands. He was de deposed, officially deposed of Bavaria. His Saxon estates were plundered. Uh, but Otto himself, you know, still had enough support and wealth to um, remain a problem of Henry's and, and you know, kind of continue the struggle in Saxony and Thuringia until 1071. So for the next decade, let's say, um, he does eventually kind of surrender. Eventually, it should be said that Henry kind of consolidates his power But remember, he ruled for 50 years, so we're not there yet. Now, part of this German drama, like with the nobility, wasn't just the nobility, but also some of the archbishops. There's a story of around the same time, Siegfried, the archbishop of Mainz, there's complaints against him because he's trying to tithe, collect tithes um, from his congregation or from his, from his area around Mainz, and Henry decides to step in. So... This starts to lead us to more of this stuff with the investiture controversy because this is, he's also fighting popes. I mean, his kidnapper was an archbishop. So he, he has problems with the kings from the beginning or with the bishops and the, and the papacy from the beginning or the church from the beginning. Now we continue. So what, what we started with Henry II, Henry III, um, now it's Henry's IV's turn to deal with the popes of the time and, the, and that situation. So, yeah, that's right. Those who have been paying attention now know uh, that this is about, of course, the investiture dispute, uh, the question who uh, gets to appoint a bishop, either the king or only uh, the pope. So this fight has been going on for generations now. And there's a reason why the conflict uh, took place in Germany or did not originate in France or in England and is uh, today material of the History of Germany podcast. <laughs> 
Travis, uh, do you want to t uh, tell us about? So as we've been hearing in the last several episodes since, oh my God, the Franks. So for the last <laughs> several ever. hundred years, yeah, um, this whole, uh, the imperial church system since the Ottos, even before, but especially the Ottos. In, in Otto, I kept foreshadowing. I kept saying, look, the um, Otto the first, Otto the second, they're gaining power by um, appointing bishops those bishops are then very loyal to them. So it's a nice business arrangement. You know, they you get to collect tithes, we collect taxes, whatever, and it works out and, and everybody's loyal to the king, okay? As I've explained a couple episodes ago too, now take this two generations further, the bishops have their own power. It's, they're not there anymore because of Henry IV. They're there because of Otto II. So there's, there's no loyalty. That's a whole nother... Um, dynasty even so now this is actually a problem because now the autos have given away all this power even even henry the first and conrad's and those um or henry the second uh and now the problem is now the pope is the church is strong enough within the empire that they can say you know now that's that's the whole investiture controversy is that the kings can no longer appoint bishops at all it's only the the church's right this is in the time of gregory the seventh who we've now kind of introduced in the last episode and everything but we see gregorian reforms the gregorian calendar okay so this is a critical pope in those times um yeah, Gregory was, he became Pope in Henry's lifetime. Henry doesn't, they don't get along. Uh, we're getting there. That's the the walk to Canossa and all that. Um, but from 73 to, to 85, Gregory runs through these reforms. Like he's a hardliner. He's, a, he's opposed to being able to pay for offices like simony. Uh, you know, uh, it's basically, it's like this whole corrupt thing of, of, paying to become a bishop basically you so rich people become bishops and poor people never have a chance pope gregory the seventh is famous for for these reforms but remember that the reason that uh, you had said this couldn't have happened anywhere but germany it's because we have the situation for generations now where the emperor is ruling rome in a way and northern italy so rome so they're the protector of the church however it's the pope that gets to crown the emperor. So just like the Pope threatened uh, Henry IV earlier, was saying, knock it off, and try, stop trying to get a divorce. Um, they can do that. So, th so they need each other. It's the balance of power that we talked about in so many episodes between popes and emperors. And here, the balance of power is off, or Gregory is trying to get more balance. The, you know, the emperor is saying, we don't even need the Pope or whatever. We can do whatever we want. So in any case, king and pope fought bitterly over supremacy, like in many other episodes. But now there's threats. Gregory writes a letter, for instance, kind of telling uh, Henry to stop. And Henry publishes this letter. Uh, it's kind of like tweeting out an email that you get privately. And the nobility come together to write a reply. So this is, it's getting worse and worse. I think... Uh, Gregory even demands the right or, or that, that a pope can force a emperor to abdicate, for instance, or can declare an, an emperor as, as void, null and void, so that, that the pope actually has that kind of power over the emperor. Henry doesn't like this. So all of this kind of stuff, uh, you know, this is getting more and more hostile, more and more, uh, you know, more and more public. This is a big fight between emperor and pope now that is being, you know, published around the country. 
So uh, Gregory was not impressed by the events in Worms and um, what Henry said and this letter from all the archbishops. So he threatened uh, to excommunicate uh, the emperor and he gave him a deadline to repent. But as far as we know, Henry, we knew he didn't repent and so... Here, the, the Pope finally excommunicated the king. Now, so excommunication, this is something, okay. Big, this, it's really yeah, big. Yeah, like how do, we even, how do we even emphasize? So if you're excommunicated, it's not just, oh, uh, you don't get into heaven or, you know, you, you're, you're blocked out from the afterlife. It also meant you couldn't even be buried in a church graveyard. But more importantly than that, I mean, even if you're an atheist and the church excommunicates you, that's still a bad thing because if you're an emperor and you get excommunicated, that means you no longer have any power on earth. Since your power comes from the church or from God, the nobility no longer have to listen to you. So this is almost an automatic revolt or an uprising of some of the nobility. They were no longer bound legally if if anybody had a problem with the emperor they no longer had to see him as emperor anymore uh that's that's a big big deal um i guess long story short that has to get fixed uh um <laughs> that th so that goes too far uh, so excommunication is something that that henry cannot ignore in these days I think if if um, John F. Kennedy got excommunicated, he would, you know, he's also a Catholic, then he'd be like, oh, well, that's too bad. But nothing bad would happen. We would still accept him as the United States president. But Henry, no, if you if you are excommunicated, then you cannot you, you no longer have to listen to the emperor at all. So Henry has to fix this. This this cannot happen. Now, this was kind of the focal point of the episode with Steve Guerra, the whole investiture controversy. This might be the climax in some way. So Gregory VII and Henry IV hate each other. They're just, they're just bitter, public, open enemies. Well, okay, but what happens? It means the walk to Canossa. That means uh, that therefore he had to act really quickly and at least superficially uh, repellent sinner to save his rule because the nobility said you have one year to fix this yeah. <laughs> and get stuff done. Otherwise, you lose everything. And of course, this was an enormous pressure. So he set off uh, to Italy in the winter and he took his wife and his uh, three-year-old son, Conrad, with him. him. It was a really difficult journey because his enemies uh, blocked the main passes over the Alps to avoid him to see the Pope before uh, the year has uh, passed and they could get uh, rid of him. And so uh, they had to take a very dangerous uh, way over the Alps and they had a little help, I think, from the Bishop of Turin. They made it uh, to Italy and Canossa. So this is the walk to Canossa. This is something that every German kid learns in school, I believe. Yeah. Um, and this is also on, this is dramatized. This is movies and everything. So the emperor piously and uh, pitifully 
sometimes even according to some sources, according to legend. So here's the thing. It might have not really happened because the time was too fast. Some 50 people with a three-year-old kid going over the dangerous Alps, avoiding the Swabians, avoiding the Bavarians. This might have not happened, okay? So (laughs) let's just say this whole story might have not actually be historically true. What could have happened is that the Pope and Emperor met ahead of time and kind of agreed that, okay, uh, Henry, if you show humility, then I will cooperate. Because here's the thing. The Pope also needs the emperor. It goes both ways. They need each other. So, But according to the local legend, or according to the official legend, um, Henry's like walking on his knees in a hair shirt, a pious, you know, a repenter's shirt on a pilgrimage to Canossa. And Canossa is like a, it's a, it's a, um, Canossa is like a castle in, in northern Italy. So they cross the Alps, and it's, but it's in northern Italy. There's snow on the ground. It's in German TV or German movies, it's always dr- dramatized as, you know, this horrible, repentant act. And even if it did happen, it's very smart. So we said at the very beginning of the episode, Henry was polit- politically smart. I mean, he, he had to be to rule 50 years in this time. But he, we see here that by going. And this sign of, and this act of repentance, this is something the Pope cannot ignore, right? Because he's the Pope. If you're, <laughs> if you're the leader of the Catholic Church and someone asks for forgiveness and repents, then you have to act on that. So it, it, could, have be, it could be that they were agreed on this ahead of time. It could be that this was a very smart move from Henry. Um, it could be that he took a risk and was really asking for forgiveness because he needed the Pope's help. I doubt that one. Um, but it worked, I guess is the point, right? Uh, I think he, he needed the help of the Pope uh, because to gain his, uh, his mind. Yeah, yeah. But, but the Pope too. Gregory had to accept this and say, okay. Uh, of, of course, yeah. of course. This, was, no uh, this was clever of yep. Henry because the Pope had no other chance as to say okay i left the excommunication everything's fine again so here come back um yeah maybe i uh, think the whole uh, canossa story it took took place yeah in, in my opinion um think the pope knew that they became um the king and his entourage were on the way think it's not uh just just a legend. I think there are sources mm-hmm. which tell us uh, that uh, this this really happened. But of course, uh, you can't say if he was standing there about um, as it is told three days um, right. yep. without shoes, wearing the hair shirt and stuff In like this. In the snow, yeah. In the snow, yes. So that succeeds for the time being. The thing is. Um, if you can have an anti-pope, why not have an anti-king? Now, okay, so Bavarians, Swabians, and Saxons, parts of some Saxons, <laughs> hate Henry IV, okay? Now, at some point, they all get together and say, we don't accept Henry anymore. If we can all, because remember, the emperor is elected. So if you can elect the emperor, then why don't we elect some other emperor? And they do. They, um... There's a Rudolf, Rudolf of Rheinfelden, who also has a claim to the throne in the sense that he, uh, he's a two-way brother-in-law to Henry IV. So he's also royal family, that whole thing, royal lineage. 
and he declares himself king. Or So now we have a pope and an anti-pope and a king and an anti-king. Um, Rudolf, the anti-king, has the support of the Sax- some Saxons, Bavarians, Carthinians, like Austrians, and they march in 1077. Uh, this is another funny little drama. Yeah, this is... Okay, so not only the time of anti-popes, but we have the time of anti-kings. Gregory VII supports the anti-king. So they, we just had the whole walk of Canossa and everything. This is like the next year, basically, or two... Yeah, the year after this, he supports the anti-king. So, for you know, good. Henry's not excommunicated anymore, but uh, he has to now put up this major rebellion that's backed by the pope. They, yeah, they do finally meet in 1080. So for three years, this, this um, you know, he's fighting half the... There's a kind of a civil war, basically. It's the Great Saxon Uprising, um, if you want to read more. But at White Elster, which is a river, there was the Battle of, of Elster in 1080. And finally, uh, Rudolf was defeated. Henry gains the upper hand. That's not the end of it, but, but Rudolf does shortly die thereafter. So... Um, now here's the problem. Gregory VII, the Pope, backed the wrong Kaiser, <laughs> the wrong king. Um, so Henry marches to Rome. He gets crowned uh, with the Iron Crown of Lombardy uh, in Pavia, which is, okay, so now we're back to the, welcome to the history of Germany, where the king goes to Pavia, gets crowned um, uh, king of Italy or cr- king of Lombardy, then goes on down to Rome, often at the head of an army, and yeah, um, long story short, Henry has to attack Rome three times before he finally takes it in 1082 um, after a seven-month siege. Okay, so let me paint you a picture. If, if you've been to Rome, there's the Vatican here, and then right just, just uh, you know, 100 meters or a kilometer away or whatever, really close, is the Castel Sant'Angelo, which is, you know, right up the road from the Vatican. And at that time, there was a secret tunnel, so Gregory escaped the Vatican— now he's in a, this is a castle, a uh, fortress, in the middle of Rome, and there he's besieged within Rome. <laughs> um, Henry declares Gregory deposed and calls and announces an anti-pope, or a, a new pope, Clement III. If you Google Clement III, uh, you'll see Wikipedia has him as an anti-pope, okay? So history does not have him as the real pope. Gregory was the real pope. But... On the 31st of March, 1084, Henry was crowned emperor in Rome. Here's the problem. We mentioned before that the reason that the pope and emperor need each other is because if the... This has been done before, okay, if you listen to the history of Germany. If you just declare your own pope and then that pope declares you emperor or crowns you emperor, that doesn't really count for anything. That's corrupt. You know, the people of Rome know that. So Clement III was not well-liked by the Romans themselves. Um, Gregory almost called a crusade against the emperor. There was almost a crusade against Germany. So, um, yeah, this was, this was a really tough time. But, but Henry does return to Germany in 84. And after Gregory VII uh, dies, he is replaced by Urban II. Now... There's still two popes. Clement III is still an anti-pope. Urban II is now the new real pope, I guess, the one that replaces Gregory VII. And you've probably heard of Urban II. Spoiler here, but that's the pope that 
calls into being uh, the First Crusade. Urban II is a very famous pope. Now, the, the main thing was there was still an anti-king for a while. Uh, the successor of Rudolf is, uh, first is Egbert II, Margrave of Meissen. Um, he even defeats Henry's army in battle. But Egbert was murdered in 1090, just, just a couple of years out later. So that this kind of takes care of that. Um, so, yeah, no more, no more anti-king stuff. Which kind of, uh, I guess, gives him some more free time on his hands. <laughs> what, is, what does he do with that? Yeah, uh, what he did, he just, with his spare time, yeah, of course he went to Italy. That's, that's what Germans do, I guess, right? No. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's great. It's uh, really cold and, yeah, uncomfortable here. So, uh, better t- down to Italy. But um, it wasn't uh, that good for him. Uh, he launched his uh, third uh, punitive expedition in Italy. And after some initial success in the lands of Canassa, he defeated some Lombard uh, communes, I think. And There was generally... Some of the northern Italian cities were in revolt. Some of the noblemen were in revolt. That happened was that uh, Matilda managed uh, to turn one of um, his sons against Henry, his elder son, uh, Conrad, which was uh, crowned king. I think this is maybe the height of the... Well, no, 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 not almost. It's almost the height of the rebellion against him. No, because there's still the other other son. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, Conrad III, who is nominally co-ruler, you know, he was crowned when he was six, I guess, Mm -hmm. um... Well, okay, so Matilda <laughs> managed to turn Conrad against him, which in the, I know in the German version, we kind of talked about what that must have been like to grow up. You know, why was his sons, why were his sons so against him? What was Henry IV like that his sons rebelled um, or that everybody rebelled, I guess. But Matilda managed to turn his son against him. Now, Matilda has an interesting story. Matilda of Canossa. This is this goes back to the Bavarian allegiance. Now Matilda uh, marries a I think Welf of Bavaria. Yeah, Welf. But before she marries him, she transfers all her property to the church way back uh, 10 years before this eight, in uh, 89 before she marries Welf II of Bavaria. Um and Welf finds out that she gave away all her you know, titles and land and everything, he was furious and tried to uh, divorce her and tried to switch his, uh, you know, finally he did switch his allegiance to Henry IV. So this kind of uh, changed things. But Matilda then convinced, you know, Henry's son to go against him. So anyways, um, yeah, uh, Henry had to depose his his son, Conrad, um, which he did at the Diet of Mainz in 98. So let's see. This is, yeah, this is years. When did he go? He went to Italy in 92. So five years later, he's back in Germany um, deposing his son. And he designated his younger son, Henry, which would be the future Henry V, as his successor. Which was not a good idea at all. I'm like, should we should we give some more spoilers here? That also sucked. Um, no, but but so the point is, um, 
right now the 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 empire is you know remaining kind of chaotic i guess now the new pope uh pascal ii was a follower of gregory the seventh's reform so anti you know emperor and anti-kaiser um he was elected in 1099 so this is three years after the crusade started i just want just so people don't lose the thread so we had george uh uh, sorry, we had Gregory the Seventh, who you know the, the was the main pope of the story. But we did have Urban the Second for a couple of years, and he started the First Crusade. Now we have Pascal the Second, who also doesn't like Henry, and and again uh, excommunicates. He does excommunicate Henry, right? Yes, yes, he, once yeah, more, yeah, again <laughs> uh, for the second time in Henry's life. But but yeah, Henry the Fourth promised to go on a crusade. It doesn't really matter because he doesn't live long enough to fulfill his promise. But now, because he's excommunicated, remember who the successor is? Henry the Fifth, his younger son. <laughs> I can't. What 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 happens? What what happens next? You did. Uh, yeah, um, the nobility uh, was still not on Henry's side, um, but on the side of the younger Henry. So they managed to get rid of Henry IV. Because remember, yes. he was already excommunicated. We yeah. said before, that's what caused a rebellion with Conrad, I think. Or I don't, in, in mm-hmm. any case, the no- nobility does not have to listen to him or respect his authority if he's excommunicated. So, yeah. Yes. The first time um, he handled things with going to Canossa and stuff like this, but um, this time things uh, turned out bad for Henry IV. His son, I think they were about to have a battle against each other, but um, Uh, it was a really strange uh, story. Father and son were about to fight against each other, uh, but uh, it uh, could have stopped very in the last minute. Uh, then Henry V said, "Ah, oh, okay, Dad, uh, come on, uh, let's be let's be fine again." But it was a trap. Yeah, that's yeah, it's basically the end of Henry the Fourth's reign. He, yes. He's imprisoned. He's, you know, forced to resign his crown. Um, yeah, there, uh, there was a diet held in Mainz in uh, December 11 of 4. So Henry V said, eh, come on, uh, let's go uh, together to Mainz. But um, he forced his father to, to, to resign. He imprisoned him. Yeah. His, uh, Henry IV had to stay in, in, in prison over Christmas. And yeah, after that, he he could manage to flee he could manage uh, to find some uh, supporters once again but he never succeeded in uh, getting back into into power i think yeah cuz he even defeated his son in battle once so it looks like if he could yes. have lived long enough maybe okay um you know he had a very difficult reign but he did always manage to kind of keep it all together and even now, it looks like, you know, so he was de- defeating his enemies. But uh, like we said at the beginning, he died at the age of 56. He died. So this is the year he dies in, in, in 1106. Six. So he just doesn't live in a, long enough to really. So that's it. So now, you know, Henry V is able to keep power. He's now the next king, which, OK, well, we will 
that's the main episode. Next, uh, the next, the next episode will be kind of wrapping up, you know, the lives of Conrad the Third, who's still alive, and and then Henry the the Fifth. So before yeah. we go to that too much, you know, I don't know. How would you how would you summarize Henry the Fourth in a you know how would you kind of um because it was just chaotic it was just difficult it was full of drama it was full of these critical times and moment uh in history the the first crusade and the walk to canossa the investiture controversy which is still going on it's not over yet henry the fifth no. is the one um yeah so you know how would you evaluate the you know did he <laughs> did he do a good job did he do a bad job what do you what do you think <laughs> Oh, it's it's a very difficult question. I think one could say uh, that in his later life he uh, displayed much diplomatic ability. His abasement in Canossa can be regarded as a move of yeah policy somehow to uh, strengthen his own position yeah. at the also, coast. Also political, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Yeah, of of course, uh, very much a political. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah, I think he was always regarded as a friend uh, of the lower orders. He, yeah. yeah, Rudolf's revolt showed us that the peasants, yeah. the farmers and such, they they preferred Henry. Yeah, um, not I th- always. But I yeah, think most, that's interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, well, better than the alternatives, maybe better than some of the other noblemen, but or it depends on what areas. Um, but yeah, that's, mm. I think that's interesting. Um, yeah, it was, it was also noted that he was generous, uh, that, that he could show gratitude. He was, now I wonder, you know, was this propaganda? Who writes the, who, you know, who, who says that? But, but there was good things written about him, I guess. Um, we do know. Some, yeah. But there were, I think right. there was no emperor in the middle ages, uh, who was written more bad things about than Henry also, IV, yeah. at the same time, yeah. Like, on the battlefield, yeah, that's the other thing, is that he did have to prove himself over and over in battle. In yes. Northern Italy, uh, the third punitive, <laughs> you know, three <laughs> three times he attacked Rome three or four times, but also within Germany, he had the Bavarians Saxony, and Thuringians, yeah. the Saxons, many times. So... Um, you know, he did, he did, he was able to prove himself even till the end, he defeated his son in battle. So that, that we know, um, you know, we know that from, from not just sources, but the fact that he lived a very tough, uh, or reigned very tough 50 years. Oh, yes. Um, I think again, you know, it's just, it's just very important this time of, well, so many, many episodes, I mentioned the relationship between the Pope and the emperor the kaiser and henry the fourth is a golden example gregory the seventh is a very famous pope and henry the fourth was in germany he's a very famous kaiser because he's the one that that went in the hair shirt so that whole story of the the walk to canossa you know he's yes. he's important mm-hmm. because that happened to happen in his lifetime um but yeah again it just shows and his political skills he I remains guess. a political uh a p- political subject after his dad, um, this is, uh, I think, a very interesting story, too, because he was buried, mm-hmm. of course, in, in Liege, where he died, uh, but he was excommunicated, so he had to be unearthed, taken, uh, he was taken to Spire, where 
um, he, he started to build um, the dome, yeah. the cathedral, the yeah. spire cathedral, and he was placed in an unconsecrated chapel where he laid for about, um, he died in 1106, five years until his um, son could manage to, to become crowned as an emperor to get his father in then he the has, family. Yeah, then he has the authority to say, okay. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so he died excommunicated still. Okay, yeah, that makes yeah. sense too, right. Wow, yeah. So, I mean, what a fall, uh, fighting against his son and excommunicated. Yeah, the Spire Dome, I guess we'll have a special episode. Uh, next time, we will continue with Conrad III, Henry V, it's Henry V that would finally, we would finally see the investiture controversy come to an end. Henry V would also be the last of the salients. So yeah. this is the end of the dynasty. So now we see um, a dynasty change, which is, you know, always interesting times. Uh, anytime I say dynasty change now, I just think of Game of Thrones like all the time. But um, <laughs> that's kind of a problem. I'm trying not to say Game of Thrones every episode, but this is totally what's happening. Hey. This is um, the real stuff here. It really is. Like it's crazy. I'm I'm just like if we had better sources about the early life or whatever, it's just it's so much drama. It is as much drama as a TV series. Um, you know, we just we just don't know all the details necessarily, all the intrigues and everything. But yeah, I mean, true life is crazy as fiction. But then we'll also because it's we're we're we'll end the mini series on the Salians and then we'll start the Staufa. Um, because of that, we'll take a break and do some other, some more heirloom episodes, and um, you know, take a take a more, a more a better look at like the Crusades and other things happening around this time period, and not just go emperor to emperor and battle to battle, um, but look at like the first Crusades and like Yiddish and Jews at the time and peasants at the time, and maybe even just castles and and the, how that happens. Yeah, yeah, some, some more details. Some um, heirlooms. I don't want to give any yeah. spoilers, but there's some great ones. And even like 20th century topics and everything uh, coming very soon. So, so yeah, stay yeah. tuned. It. That's right. Yeah. Exciting stuff happening. Now, Judith really brings a lot to the table here. She's really involved in a lot of projects in the German podcast community. I met her while in Nuremberg last fall, and she's going to rescue this show and make sure it keeps happening. Uh, we have a lot planned. You can find us on Twitter as at Germany Podcast. Travis is at Podcastic, and I'm meet underscore Judith. Until next time, for Travis Dau, I'm Judith Strusenberg. Vielen Dank fürs Zuhören. Und bis zum nächsten Mal. Hey, I thought I got to say that. Oh, uh, sorry. Did you want to? Yeah. Vielen Dank fürs... No, now you ruined it. Tschüss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.